Covenant relationships are important. One of my earliest covenant relationships was back in 1967 in Metter, Georgia. I still remember that there was a city pool at that time in Metter. Um, it is no longer there. Um, it has been filled in, and in fact, I think another building has been built on top of that location. Um, it may be that uh, it was a good thing that it was filled in because um, it was not open to everybody in the community. Uh, I don't remember the details of how that uh, all worked itself out, but I can remember one small matter uh, that was a struggle for me. And that was the fact that it was 35 cents to get in. And my mother and dad didn't have the money to send us over to that city pool, even to pay 35 cents, which doesn't seem like a lot. We did go on occasion, but I had a friend that lived across the street from us. <clears throat> there was no way that his parents were going to be able to afford to send him for a day of swimming over at the city pool. And so he came up with an ingenious plan and involved me with it as well. But a block and a half away from that city pool, uh, there was a ditch that caught the runoff of that water that had been through the city pool. Now, no telling what kind of condition that water was in. <laughs> but uh, he said, let's dam this ditch up. And we worked hard and, uh, and dammed that ditch up as best we could. And we had our own pool and we didn't charge 35 cents. <laughs> I can remember that uh, he and I felt so proud about the work that we had done uh, that he turned to me and like, uh, like uh, an American Indian, he said, let's become blood brothers. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, he said, just like on TV. He said, he said let's, let's become blood brothers. And I said, for real? He said, for real? He said, let's get a pen and prick our fingers. And at that point, I was ready to back out. <laughs> I don't remember um, us carrying through with that, but there was a close connection and there was a covenant about what we were doing. There was this responsibility that we felt to design a place of belonging for ourselves and anybody else that might come our way. We all need a sense of belonging. Perhaps you missed out on what the purpose of those membership vows is. The membership vows that we receive when we become members of the United Methodist Church particularly are meant to give us a sense of belonging but also draw us in so that everybody has a sense of belonging here in this place. Do you remember the words that are spoken? Will you be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and uphold it with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. Now, what that is meant to do is to elicit from you 
a response. And so I'll give you a chance to speak what your response would be. Now, if you are not a member of the United Methodist Church, that's okay. You can respond anyway and let it be a practice for becoming a member of the United Methodist Church. <laughs> but those of you who are members of the United Methodist Church know very well what all this should be about. And so let me ask the question again. Will you be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and uphold it with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service, and your witness? I believe you because I think that what I see in you is that you are putting that into practice. Membership vows are meant to motivate us to say, take seriously the role that we have as a follower of Christ. And that second part of the vow, the word presence, is critical for us. It is not only a matter of showing up, but it is much, much more than that. It is about finding belonging and helping others to do so as well. In our baptismal covenant, there's a question that is raised that goes like this. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to all ages, all nations, and all races. And we have to give a, an affirmative answer to that before we are baptized in the United Methodist Church. My experience, um, and children hear this out, adults can be pretty mean, can't they? Now, go ahead and be honest with me about this, okay? I'm not wanting you to implicate your parents. We're talking about other adults here, all right? <laughs> but adults can be mean. They can be. But here's, here's another question for you children. Have you ever been around another child that was mean? Oh, yes. I hear you, Monroe. Oh, yes. I think that we know that children can be mean, too. I, I can remember when I was a child that I was with a group of uh, other children at school and there was one particular girl, as I remember it, who was a part of such a very poor family that when she would come to school, it was obvious that she had not had the care that she needed in life. Her hair was so stringy, she was dirty, she did not always smell very nice. I can remember, I don't remember saying it myself. I hope I did not ever say this. But I can remember friends of mine looking at her and saying to the others in our group, I wouldn't touch her with a 10 foot pole. Oh, you talk about me, that was me. I may not have said it, but I will confess to you that the truth is that I didn't want to be around her either. 
What damage do we do by keeping our distance from others who just want to belong, who just want to be a part of what God is doing in this place? They just want to have a sense of connection in community. Sometimes I am very distracted with being busy. In fact, I, I can even get worried about being busy. Have you ever been there? Uh, I bet you have. Occasionally, I will ask Sue something and she will look at me with the strangest look. And she will say very politely, she'll say, I've already told you that answer. Weren't you listening to me? Oh, it is embarrassing, embarrassing, embarrassing that I somehow heard, but I was not listening. Now, is there anybody else here that will find themselves ever having been in that situation, please raise your hand so I'll know I'm not in this by myself. I, I want to listen better. Presence is a matter of showing up, but it is much, much more than that. It is about paying attention. When we say, that we will be loyal to Christ through the United Methodist Church and uphold it with our presence. It doesn't mean that you are just in the pew or just on the property. It means that you will be engaged in what is going on. I knew a man once who was so preoccupied with what he had to do. Oh, he had some important stuff to do. He had some important places to be. But I can tell you that he was so obsessed with what he had to do and where he had to be that it took a disastrous toll on his family who just wanted for him to belong and for them to belong in his life. I, I don't know. Um, children, help me here. Those of you uh, who are children and those of you who are youth, do teachers still take attendance in school? Yes. Do they still do that? Okay. Yes. All right. I guess some, some teachers could answer that question too, couldn't they? Um, I remember that teachers used to take attendance in school, and it's an important thing. But the teachers that I was familiar with not only wanted to know that you were there, but they also want to know that you're paying attention, right? right? It is right. It is right that we are called in a class setting to really be present. Not to be off somewhere else daydreaming in our mind about other things that we could be doing, even though there are other things that we could be doing. We are called to be engaged. We are called to be present in class and present with those that we are around. Most of the time in worship, I wear this alb. When I'm walking down the hallway, somebody 
will usually say you look like a monk. I think it is not only the alb, I think it's this nice shiny head that I have. And I know that I play the part. Brother Lawrence, however, was a real, a real monk. He lived 400 years ago in France. And when he finally moved to Paris to be a part of a monastery there, Brother Lawrence was given a very menial job. In fact, his job did not even allow him to go and worship with the other monks because he had to be so busy doing his job. His job was to cut up the vegetables in the kitchen, to clean the pots and pans in the kitchen. There was always work to be done in the kitchen. Now, Brother Lawrence, the only way that we know anything about him is that he wrote a few letters about what he came to know about his work. And in his letters, he described a relationship with God that was very, very present. In fact, he became known for practicing the presence of God. The time of business, he wrote, does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament, the sacrament of Holy Communion. And so presence is a matter of showing up, but it is much, much more than that. It is about being present, not only to others, but ultimately being present to the one who matters the most, being present to God in this world. There is a word that is used in the Bible, koinonia. It is a Greek word. In fact, I want to particularly ask the children and youth to say that word with me. Can you practice it with me? Koinonia. I didn't hear anybody else but me speaking. Let me hear somebody else. Koinonia. Very good. Very good. Koinonia. Now let's get everybody to say it together. One, two, three. Koinonia. Have you ever heard that word before? You have? Good. Now, Monroe, since we're talking with each other here, can, can you tell me what it means? No. Okay, so let me help here because that word is not complicated. It really means fellowship. It means a very special kind of fellowship where everyone is loved and everyone is cared for. Isn't that, that is fantastic, isn't it, to think about that? Koinonia, fellowship. We've even got a Sunday school class with the name fellowship. Isn't that great? That's a great name for a Sunday school class. And we've got a part of this building that is named for fellowship or koinonia. The fellowship hall. It's an incredible word. And it is all about including people and giving them a sense of belonging. 
And wasn't Jesus always up to that? Wherever he went, he was trying to include others. Some of my favorite stories are about how he included children, particularly. Jesus, when his disciples were with him, was not going to take their plan. They said, send the children away so that you can be about the important work. He said, let the children come to me. But everywhere Jesus went, he was always, always seeking to find someone who was not connected. The Pharisees and the scribes had a hard time with this in the temple. They said, why is it that you are always fellowshipping with the tax collectors and the sinners? This is why he came. He came to bless others and to give them a sense of belonging in God's holy kingdom. There's a passage of scripture over in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 24th and 25th verses. Listen to these words. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We are called to be together and to take seriously the work of fellowship. I think this is what the Apostle Peter meant when he wrote these words that were read for us at the beginning of this sermon. And let me read them again now for us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that just incredible? Jesus helped us belong in order that we could help others belong.